This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. I want to say good morning to our online community. It's growing. There's more and more people listening to the podcast, more and more people watching Facebook Live. So everyone give them a big shout right now. They're here. They're here. Um, I remember a long time ago, kids, there used to be this thing called MySpace. And I was on MySpace back in the day, and I got this request from, it was called LifeChurch.tv, the first online church. And I thought, how stupid. That's the stupidest idea. That'll never work. That's not biblical. Blah, 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 all the criticism. I, I don't know if you know, it's the largest church in America right now. There's 50,000 people that attend live and then another 20,000 online. It's crazy. So Craig Rochelle, I stand corrected, my friend. You're smart. I'm dumb. Anyway, so hello to our online community because now I'm copying him 20 years later. So hey, um, got back from Israel and uh, it's been amazing. And before we get into our sermon or anything, I want to introduce a friend because I just think this is an important ministry in our city. Um, and um, all my kids go to public school, and here's the deal. I'm not for public school or private school. I'm for uh, raising Christians, <laughs> right? And some are done in the public school, some are done in private school. But I'm a big fan of this school, and I'm a big fan of everything they do, and our church uh, supports it. But uh, my friend Jeremy Brown, the uh, superintendent of Fresno Christian Schools, I want him to come up and tell us what's going on with Fresno Christian. So give him a hand real quick. Thank you, Sean. Well, good morning. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I love coming to our member churches every spring and just say thank you for your partnership with Fresno Christian Schools. A little background like Sean. I'm a father of four. My youngest is 17, going to be 18 in two weeks. My oldest is 23. We've homeschooled, private school, charter school, public schooled our kids. Yeah, we, exactly. It's, it's, it's homeschool. And we, we've done everything. And, and what we've learned is it's about fit. And I've spent 20 years in public schools. And you guys do a great ministry across the way, by the way. And thank you for that because we need to impact it. But what we offer at Fresno Christian Schools is just another chance for a fit. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean something's broken. Each one of our children are different. And at Fresno Christian, explore the opportunity we have. And that's the what. And we, we have a nursery all the way to 12th grade, so you could drop them off from six months and just keep going until they're about 19. <laughs> um, I'll be over, and that's the what. I'll be over in the, um, the foyer area outside if you want to come by, ask some questions. The why, and I, I love Clovis Hills, and I love Sean's heart for reaching people. In fact, I text my wife in between. He's got such a heart for bringing people into Jesus as is reflected in you. And when I see the lights on the wall, it's a reminder of the why we do what we do and why we partnership. Is not only do we both like good Mexican food, but Amen. We, we believe in <laughs> there are 600,000 people in Fresno County that don't know Jesus. Most of them are career to student age. And I don't know about you, I'm not hip enough. I can't buy clothes at H&M. Nothing fits me. <laughs> but the best one to reach a 17-year-old is another 17-year-old. You were the first priest of the home. Not Derek Alvarez, not the pastors here, you. But we partnership at Fresno Christian Schools with our local church and you 
because we want our kids to be multipliers. We don't want our kids to hold their faith, we want our kids to spread their faith. And I thank you, and that's a why we do. That's our partnership, that's what our friendship's bounded on, that's what our relationship with Fresno Christian Schools and Clovis Hills is, and I wanna thank you for that. I'll be out in the for- outside in the little courtyard area. If you have any questions, come by and see me. If not, just thank you for, once again, for letting us be here. Thank awesome. you. Awesome, give it up, man. So um, I was in Israel, yeah, this is my fourth time being there, and I gotta tell you, um, every time it blows my mind. I see something new or something makes more sense to me. Um, and while we were there this time, I was speak- we were speaking to a uh, Palestinian Christian, and he was, sharing, he's, he was saying, you know, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. He goes, but when you, you come to the land and you're able to see the land and see where it all happened. It's the fifth gospel. We call it the fifth gospel. You don't need the fifth gospel, but the fifth gospel, seeing it all, sure makes the other four become 3D and jump out of the page. And it's just such a cool thing. So I've made a commitment, as long as I can, every other year, I'm gonna take groups of people there. So if you wanna go, start saving your pennies. It's gonna be good. I've had enough of you in the education community go, when are you going in the summer? And okay. We'll plan a summer one, I promise. Um, So start saving your pennies on that. But um, I just wanna show you a few pictures before we get into it because I want you to understand the power of God's word. Um, So 100 years ago, they said there was no evidence that Moses ever ever existed in the Bible. That's what they said. They didn't have anything. There was no uh, Egyptian record of the Hebrews being there. There is now. There was no um, Hebrew record of them being in the desert aside from what the Bible says, and on and on and on. And um, I just, just, well, here's a great, here's a picture of the the desert that Moses was in after um, he uh, left Egypt. So he was a prince in Egypt for 40 years. He was, killed a guy, he was exiled out of Egypt. He went to live in this lush place here. Reminds us of Fresno, doesn't it? Next picture, go ahead and go to the next picture. Yeah, that looks like the back of our property, of the church, actually. So anyways... Um, he's there, and um, that's where he meets his wife, his, wife, his father-in-law. He becomes part of their family. The, his name was Jethro. He, Jethro was his father-in-law. He was a Midianite. So um, when you go to this area of the world, it's called Tim, the Timnah Wilderness Park, um, and it's where Moses was during that time. There's all kinds of Egyptian things out there, too. They, as a matter of fact, they have a... Um, go to the next slide. They have a picture. Next slide. It's the Sphinx. Um, and it's not the one you see all the time. This is made way before that one, to be honest. And usually they would build these in the desert, and that face would be pointing to something, usually a worship place or something very sacred. So when you're in the desert, you didn't get lost. You'd see the Sphinx. They'd say, oh, you see the Sphinx, follow its face, and you'll find the, the place. This Sphinx is pointing to something very special and very sacred. And I don't know if you know this, but archaeologists have found this now. This Sphinx is actually pointing at the first Chick-fil-A ever created. I'm kidding. Kidding. It was pointing at an Egyptian worship place. So then uh, we went over there, and uh, next to the Egyptian worship place, they've actually excavated a Hebrew worship place, a place where um, people worshiped the God of the Bible before the Bible was ever written. Go ahead and go to the next slide. These are the ruins of it. They found Midianite artifacts there. Jethro was a Midianite. And this is the place potentially where Moses and uh, Jethro would worship Yahweh, the, the true God, 
before the Bible was ever written. There is so, this book is not a story. It's what really happened in history, and it just keeps proving itself over and over again. A couple more pictures, real quick. The next picture. This is actually under the city of, the current city of Jerusalem. Those are post holes. I don't know if you know what those posts are for. They were for um, tying animals up. It also was for tying humans up. That is the place where the Roman soldiers whipped Jesus and beat him to, to the point of death and then kept him alive. And they would put the post holes in it, and they would tie the prisoners to it, and then they would beat him. In the Gospels, it says that they took off all his clothes. They stripped him naked and beat him. And then the, the um, Roman soldiers, the 10th Legion, cast lots. It's a game for his clothes. Like, oh, I get his tunic, you know. So this picture right here is actually the game they played to cast lots for Jesus' clothes. It was carved in the stone right there, and they would use that. And it was like, kind of like a dice game as they beat him kind of thing. This is where your salvation begins, at this place where his, you are healed by his stripes. So when we talk about the Bible, we're not messing around. This is God's word. And this morning, we're continuing in Corinthians, but we're, we're starting a new series. We're calling it Viva la Revolucion. <laughs> All right? So I was going to wear my cholo outfit, but... Um, I'll save that for Pastor Scott, the way of the cholo. So listen, um, this morning, I would love it if you're able to. My friend Ron is going to come out. He's going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. If you're able to, I'd love it if you could stand in honor of the word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who made you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this very moment. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're going to get right, right to it. So if you have your outline, um, number one is this. We are hope-based creatures. We're creatures of hope. All human beings are. We all put hope in something. That's how we get to the future. We're always latching on to something with, with our hope. And um, 
I, I want you to look at what it says in verse six. I wanna read you verse six. Um, he's talking to Corinthian Christians at this point, and he says, listen, now brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up being a follower of one of us over or against the other. Just to remind you what's gone on in this letter of Corinthians. See, um, earlier in, in the book, Paul is reminding these Corinthian Christians because they're, they're putting their hope in leaders, you know, that, that different pastors or Christian leaders were, were the ones that were going to teach them and make them right and make them whole and make them right with God. And some were saying, well, I follow Paul. Paul is my pastor. And then others are saying, well, I follow Apollos. Apollos is mine. Others said, I follow Peter. And then you've always got that one, like, super spiritual person that Jesus jukes everyone. They're like, well, I follow Jesus. And what Paul is trying to say is stop putting your hope in other people. Because if you were to, the truth of the matter is, there's no Christian leader out there that you could latch your hope to. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. We will all fail you, okay? If you think we walk on water, the closer you get to us, you will realize just how turd-like we can be. <laughs> Ask our families, you know? And, and you know, I see it even happen on a, on, a ma on a micro scale in church where some are like, well, I like Pastor Sean, you know, he's funnier. I'm from New Harvest, so I like Pastor Mitch, and I'm old school, I've been here since the high school days. I like Pastor Steve, and then others are like, I like Scott, he's got the way of the cholo going, and you know, and everyone's got their thing. And, and here's what I want you to know, all four of us will fail you if you put your hope in us. We, we will. And Paul is trying to remind them, listen, these are not the people that are going to grow you in Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you in on another little secret. And, it, and you might be like, that's right. That's why I listen to Tim Keller, or I listen to Matt Chandler, or I listen to Joel Olstein, or whoever it is you like. Listen, um, if you listen to any preacher, after about three or four years, you're going to hear his whole shtick and you're gonna figure them out. Like, as a matter of fact, some of you, I've been here six, seven years, you're like, oh, this is the part, last seven minutes of his message, he's gonna turn to the gospel and invite people to come to Christ. And you, you know my shtick, okay? And, and here's what I want you to understand. Um, I hear this, I've heard it my whole life, and I've said it before, too, is like, you get people after they've been in church for a while and they've heard the pastor's shtick, they start saying, oh, I'm not being fed, I'm not being fed, I'm not being fed, and I need you to understand something very clearly. One of the marks of a mature Christian is not one that gets fed by a pastor, but one that feeds themselves. Imagine your 28-year-old son sitting in a high chair going, feed me, mommy! And some of you moms are like, oh, I wish. <laughs> we have a group for that on Tuesday night, if that's you, by the way. <laughs> and probably for him. See, one of the marks of a mature Christian is that you feed yourself. And when that happens, anything you get out of a Sunday sermon is gravy. But really, we gather together to worship Jesus corporately. This is what's going on. To hear the proclamation of the gospel, to draw us back to God, and to worship him. That's why we're here. 
So Paul is saying, you know, stop putting your hope. But here's the thing. It's not just in Christian leaders. We put our hope in all kinds of things. We are hope-based creatures. Matter of fact, if something bad is going on in your life, usually the thing that gets you through it is you have hope that there's something better on the other side. I'll give you the classic example. I've used it before. Is if you have two people working the same job, and it's a terrible job, and they work 16 hours a day putting widgets together, and they're in identical rooms doing it, and you tell the one guy in this room, hey, um, at the end of the month, when you're done putting all these widgets, together 16 hours a day, I'm going to give you a bonus of a million dollars. And then you tell the other person, you're just going to keep doing this until we say stop. And then, um, you know, you let a couple weeks pass by and you ask this guy, hey, how's your job going? He's going to be like, oh, it's terrible. This is the worst job ever. I just put these stupid things together. I don't know what they're for. My fingers hurt. I'm here all day. I'm on my feet all day. It's the worst job ever. I just want to die. I have, I have no hope because he had nothing on the other side. Same job, though, you ask this guy, hey, how's the job going? Oh, it's awesome. Why? Because he has hope. He has something on the other side. Here's the deal. We live in a culture right now where suicide, just, suicide rates continue to, to soar, where drug abuse rates continue to soar. And I want you to think about it for a moment. We live in the wealthiest, most well-educated society human history has ever known but yet somehow depression keeps doing this. See, because here's the truth of the matter is, we are hope-based creatures and we've been putting our hope in the wrong things. See, I'm told that um, if you put a, a bee in a mason jar with a lid off, it's trapped. It will just bump its head into the glass. Walk around bumping its head into the glass because a bee will never look up if it were to look up, it would see it's open and it could fly out. It could be free. But it'll be trapped in that cage. And here's what I, I, I want you to understand today. Today, some of you, you're just like that bee. And God is here to tell you to look up. Because there's no person you could put your hope in that's going to make life better for you. There's no relationship. There's no husband. There's no wife. Um, your children going to a good college, I know that's a hope we, ha we all have. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you what, when it, those things become the ultimate hope, here's what happens. When you make your children your ultimate hope, when you make your, a relationship your ultimate hope, um, you, one, God is supposed to be that. And when you put people in that place, you, as much as you love them, you will actually crush them under the weight of your expectations because they can't carry that. They can't be your hope. And you will destroy them in the process of doing that. God is meant to be in that place. Not to mention, they'll all disappoint you. Look at your neighbor and say, I will disappoint you. Some of you are like, not me. So number two. Number two. Paul's been talking about the, um, you know, the, these spiritual heroes that, that the Corinthians have, Apollos, Peter, Paul, Jesus, all of them. And, and here, here, here's, here's a, a fact that you need to get, get in, into you, is we have the same Holy Spirit that our spiritual heroes have. I want you to think about this. Pastor Mitch did an incredible job over the last two weeks talking about the, the temple and the Holy Spirit, didn't he? Oh, he nailed it. He nailed it. Hey, no favorites. Cut it out. But anyways, no, I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. It, it was awesome. I'm, I watched it live in Israel, and it was, it was just, I was really impressed with the direction he took it. And he talked about how the Spirit, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God now lives in you. It doesn't live in a building anymore. You're the building. And then when we come together, we're like an amalgamation of the Spirit of God being together. This is why we gather on a regular basis together, right? And the Spirit of God lives in you. And here's what you have to understand. You have the same power, the same Holy Spirit that Billy Graham has. And you're like, no, no, Sean, you don't know me. You don't know the sin in my life. You're right. I don't know the sin in your life. But here's what I know. I know the Jesus who died on the cross that took away your sin. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You carry the same power that the spiritual giants have. Look what, it's, look what Paul says to these Corinthians. Um, he he says, says right here in verse 7 and 8, he says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Guys, I see Christians, we do it all the time. We go, oh, I could never be as good a Christian as this person or this person, so I've got all kinds of issues in my life, and you know, so I'm just going to sit back in the shadows and just, you know, luckily I'm getting into heaven by the skin of my teeth, and I know pastor talks about how God has a destiny for my life and a plan for my life and something to do, but I'm too messed up, so I'm just going to sit back here. And Paul's saying, he's saying, why do you boast as though you do not have that same power? You have it in you. You have everything you ever need to follow Jesus right now and to follow out his plan for your life. It's in you if you're a believer in Jesus. And then he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. And that without us, I wish you really had begun to reign. See, he was using sarcasm there. I believe this. It's not biblical. It's just my own belief that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. I use it all the time. I use it on my, I use it as a, I should write a book like uh, sarcastic parenting. I remember at one point, one of my kids was complaining about going to church. Like, when I go to church every, every Sunday, you make us go. It should be something I choose. And I was like, hey, listen, when you grow up and you're an adult, you can tell your therapist how your dad provided for you and gave you clothes and went to all your sporting things and loved you and made you go to church for an hour and 20 minutes every Sunday and maybe call CPS. Yeah, and they're like, that's not fair. Shut up, Dad. Huh? He says, you've already become rich. You began to reign and without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so we might reign with you. He's telling them, you guys have all the access to the Spirit of God, to the power, to the life change that God can bring, but you've never activated it. You just let it kind of be there. And um, the, the qu question is this. Um, how do I activate it? Well, I, I'm going to tell you a story before I tell you how we activate it. Um, years back, I, I bought this really expensive guitar tuner. And it, spent a lot of money on it. And it's a kind of a, a, a strategy I have in my house is I, I'm a guitar player. I love music. I love playing music, all kinds of things like that. And um, when you get married, it's harder to buy stuff like that. But all my kids play guitar now, too. So I can always be like, but honey, it's for the kids. <laughs> right? So I bought this tuner. And I brought it home and um, set it up, and it didn't work. And it came with batteries and everything, and it didn't work. And I was like, oh, man, I gotta drive all the way back down to Guitar Center. So I go down to Guitar Center, I return it, I get a second one. I come home, that one doesn't work either. 
So I had to wait a while, and I'm super bothered. I go back, I re- return the second one, and they're like, oh, we're really sorry, Mr. Beatty. Are, are you sure you're using it right? And I'm like, slow down, man. I was a professional musician. Like, I've been playing guitar for 30 years. Like, this ain't my first rodeo. I know how to work a tuner. Okay, okay, okay. So they give me the third one. And um, I get home. It doesn't work. So I'm really bothered now. I go back to Guitar Center. I'm like, guys, this is a third one. The, the, what, this company is like a reputable company. How is this not happening? And then... Um, what I didn't realize is um, it came with batteries, but you have to pull a little plastic tab <laughs> to activate the batteries. There's a spiritual principle in that right now. Some of you have it. You have the power. You've never pulled the tab. You've never pulled the tab. And here, here, here's, here's, here's how you, how do I activate God's power in your life? Well, I'm going to give you a, just a couple suggestions. There's lots of ways to do it, but I'm just going to give you a few simple ones you can apply in your life, okay? The first one is, is this. One, um, God, the, the Spirit is activated many times in community. When you are with other Christians on a regular basis, not just you know every now and then, but on a regular basis. This is why we do um, growth groups T- today. Uh, after church, outside, there's a thing we do called growth group connection, and we do it a few times a year, because here's what we, we believe what happens is that when you are with other Christians on a regular basis, and you make a habit of being in community, studying God's word, getting to know each other, developing trust, developing love for each other, and you're in that habit of community, God uses it to activate your faith. He activates the spirit of God in you, and you begin living with more power. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen when you go to a growth group once. It happens when you make it a habit of being in community. I'm in two growth groups, okay? I'm in a couple's one on Friday night with my wife, and then I go to a men's group on Tuesday morning. It's the same six guys. We sit at a table at our men's group. I'm their pastor, but I'm going to let you know something. In that group, they speak into my life just as much as I speak into theirs, and God uses them and their insights on the scripture and their insights on my life and my problems and when they're praying for me and the things I'm struggling with. God uses that to activate faith in me, to activate the spirit of God in me. This is why it is incredibly important that you make a habit of being in community, gathering in groups, studying the Bible, and then gathering corporately to worship Jesus. Make that a habit. Watch how God activates it. It's like pulling the tab, okay? Um, the, The other is creating daily spiritual habits. I don't know if you know this, but, um, you and I, we are all the sum total of all of our habits in life. Who you are right now is because of all the habits you have in your life, both good and bad. Okay? i just give you a, a little, little example of, of that. Um, if you have clean teeth and you don't have any cavities right now, the reason you do not is because you are the sum total of the habit in your life of brushing your teeth in the morning, brushing your teeth at night, and if my dentist, Dr. Miller, is here, flossing every day too. That habit has created clean teeth in you, okay? That's a simple habit that you do every day. Well, here's the thing. There are spiritual habits that you should create in your life, and if you do them every day, you will 
activate faith in you. You will activate the Spirit's work in your life. And, but you have to do them on a regular basis is the thing. Think about, think about that whole premise. If I just brush my teeth once a month, I'm going to have just two or three chiclets pointing out, and they're going to be all corroded and disgusting. Okay? It's the same way spiritually. If you just spend a few moments a month with God, your soul will be sick. And, and if you can create this habit of, of reading God's word alone, prayer, serving, all those things, they, they, God uses those. For some of you, and, and this, this is the problem, um, you come to church, and I've talked about this before, and you get super excited about, that's it, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. No, you're not. Don't worry about it. Don't be so ambitious. Start with a verse a day. If you're not reading the Bible at all right now, start with a verse a day, okay? Um, some of you, you could read the Bible in a whole, whole year, but here's what, here's what I find happens to people is they get really excited, they get really motivated, and they're like, I'm gonna start reading the Bible, and by Wednesday, the, the only, thing, only time they ever mentioned God's name was in a curse word, and then they feel guilty, and then they say, well, I guess I can't do it because, you know, I just don't have it in me. I'm not a spiritual giant like my grandma or Pastor Sean or so-and-so and so-and-so. And I want to remind you, you have the same spirit as all of those people in you, spirit of God, if you're a believer in Jesus. And here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Stack your habit. Find another habit that you have and put that in. Here's a great example. In your, on your phone, you can download the Clovis Hills app or you can download the YouVersion Bible app. And if you struggle reading your Bible every day and praying, maybe you take another habit of yours. Like if you drive to work every day, you know what one of your habits is driving to work? You turn the key on your car. You do that every day. That's a habit. You don't even think about it because it's a habit that's just in your brain or you push the button or whatever it is. Maybe before you turn the key, you pull your phone out and you look at the verse of the day on version, and you read it and you thank God for it and then you ask God for the grace and the wisdom to live for him that day and then you start your car. You just, it's called habit stacking. And you start small and you build on that. Watch what God will do in your life. But these spiritual habits will shape who you are. And like I said, brushing your teeth once doesn't help your teeth. Lifting weights once doesn't help your muscles, but you are the sum total of all your habits put together, your life is. And who we are today is the sum total of our habits. Can't blame mom, can't blame dad, can't blame circumstances in your life. God has put you ridiculously in control. So, um, that, the, the last thing that really activates, can activate um, the Spirit of God in you and activate faith in you is when you serve one another. When you serve one another. Not just strangers. I'm talking about one another. When you serve, serve Christians. You know, it says in um, the book of Colossians, I, I love this verse because it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like and how God acts, you look at Jesus and Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And I've told you time and time again that whatever you're full of will spill out of you when you're shaken, right? So if, um, in, in your life, if you're full of greed, when you get shaken, you'll get greedy. 
You know, when life, when you get anxious, when, when life gets hard and, and what spills out of you will be greed. If you're full of lust, when you get shaken and life is hard and you're stressed out, you'll probably go to pornography. If you are full of um, hatred, you'll get angry. It'll spill out of you. That's just what spill, whatever you're full of will spill out of you. If you're full of grace and you get shaken, it'll spill out of you. I want you to look. I'm gonna read you something out of John 13. I want you to see Jesus in his worst moments, in the moments where he's carrying the most anxiety, the most stress, what spills out of him, okay? In John 13, it's, it's fascinating because it's, it's his last night. He knows he's going to be arrested and then crucified, he knows all of it's going down. And look what it says in John 13. It said it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew the hour had come. It was time. It is on. The hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So they're eating the meal. Jesus watches Judas get up and leave, and he knows exactly where Judas is going. He's going to get his 30 pieces of silver to sell Jesus out to the, the Jewish authorities, and he would be arrested, beaten at that place that I just showed you, and then crucified. And Jesus is under extreme stress, extreme duress. The other gospel accounts tell us. One of them says that he sweat blood that, that uh, blood was coming out of his sweat glands, out of his tear glands, okay? Um, that's a medical phenomenon called hematoma, and it, it only happens to people going through extreme fear, anxiety, and stress. This is what Jesus is going through, okay? And he's shaken. And then it says this, verse three. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew he had all things at that moment. He's been given all the power of the universe is in his hands. Think of what you would do with all the power of the universe. Judas would have got up and you would have like, Ugh. all your enemies, boom, gone. Heck, some of the people here wouldn't even be sitting next to you right now. You'd bring him back, but listen, listen. With all the power of the cosmos, with all the power of God, with complete control of the whole universe, do you know what Jesus does? The next thing he does, look at this. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. Jesus, in his worst moment, when he was shaken, when he was spilled, do you know what came out of him? Serving. Serving his brothers. See, if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Here's what we know about God. God in his very nature is a servant. And when you begin to act like your daddy, it activates something in you. Doing it once won't, but it's the habit of serving. You know, I can guarantee if you join our parking lot team, you'll wave at a bunch of angry faces as they come in with your Mickey Mouse hand. And you guys do look angry when you come in. I was just standing out there. And then the Mickey hand, you go, oh, okay. 
right. In church, I guess. I'll smile. Doing that once won't do anything. But the practice of lowering yourself to lift other people up, God activates his Holy Spirit in you. And it's something you have to make a lifestyle of that you do over and over and over and over. Again, brushing your teeth once won't help you. It's the habit of serving. So that leads me to number three in the outline. I want to talk to you about downward mobility. I was in San Diego yesterday. I was in a hotel, and um, I got in the elevator. And I don't know, if, if you're anything like me, like, you, I, I always think how things work. I want to know how things work. And we get in an elevator, and we push a button, and we go up. And, it, you know, and I, I, wanted, I was like, how does an elevator really work? Like, are there, like, little garden gnomes going, you know, pulling you up? Like, what's going on? Is there a machine? So I started doing some research on elevators. I went on, got in my hotel room and started looking at the internet and, and um, started learning that the way elevators are designed is there's this incredible system. There's motors and everything, but there's all these counterweights. And in order for you to go up, in order to lift you up, something greater, something heavier, something stronger than you must come down. In order for you to be lifted up, Something heavy, something of great mass, something of great strength has to come down for you to be lifted up. See, there's a principle in that. It says in Philippians 2, it said about Jesus, though being in very nature God, being considered equal with God, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he couldn't fathom. And in be, being made in the very likeness of a, of, a, of a servant, he lowered himself, he came down. So you could be lifted up. And the Bible says this, that whoever receives him to those who believe in his name, when, when, when something so great, so heavy, so strong comes down, when you receive him, it lifts you up. And you're able to look up. And you're able to have a new hope and be a new person and have God change you. But you have to receive him. And for something, for something to go up, something greater has to come down. And here's what I want you to know. Today, Jesus has come down for you. And today's your day to receive him. See, because it says that when he lowered himself under a servant, this is a principle in scripture, that whenever you humble yourself, it says that God lifted him up and gave him the name that is above all names, that the feet of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. That when you lower yourself to serve others, and sometimes it's just a menial job, it's data entry, or it's doing tech, or it's waving with a Mickey hand, or you're taking kids potty, or whatever it is, you'd be shocked how God lifts you up. He activates the spirit in you. And it's these habits that you put into your life, these spiritual habits that drive you to new places. So I love, um, I love what the scripture says here. It says in verse, uh, actually, I'm gonna skip forward to verse 11 through 13. It says in verse 11 through 13, this is, this is incredibly powerful. Because Paul really, he, he's saying, this, this is us, the, the, um, the apostles. And he gives in the first, the two verses before that, he gives this example. He says, you know, you guys, you got it made and we're like, uh, we're like the gladiators that are being brought in in the Roman processional. And the, what would happen when the Romans would conquer 
a country. They would take slaves back with them, and they, and they would come into Rome in this big parade. And at the back of the parade would be all the slaves tied together. And these were like the fresh meat that they were going to throw to the gladiators and throw the lions, and the Romans would, ah! And these people would be in the back, and people would be scorning them, treating like, them like scum, throwing things at them. And, and Paul says, listen, we apostles have been put on display to the whole world, not just the whole world, the universe, even the angels, it says, are looking at us going, why? Why are you guys doing this to yourselves? And, and then, then Paul breaks into this thing about them that really he's sharing the gospel. He's, he's liking it to what Jesus did for you and me. Look what it says here in ver verse 11. He says, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. You know, Jesus fasted 40 days in the desert, 40 days and 40 nights. His, one, his last moments on the cross, one of the things he said is, I thirst. It says here, we are in rags. We are brutally treated. You saw the pavement where Jesus was beaten and he was put into, into rags and his clothes were taken from him. His priestly garment, the kenef that he wore, was taken from him. He says, we are homeless. Some of you are like, well, Jesus wasn't homeless. Actually, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. He had no home. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Jesus' last moments on the cross, people were saying, come down off the cross if you're the Son of God. Four times in the New Testament, twice in the Old Testament, it says, cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Referring to the cross. He was cursed. People were cursing him. There was a thief on the cross next to him saying, if you really are the son of God, get us down from here. And do you know what Jesus' words were in the midst of the curse, in the midst of the, of the slander, in the midst of the persecution? He looked at all of us and said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the God that came for you, that something heavy could come down so you could be lifted up, so you could become the person that God has created you to be. But it won't happen until you receive him. See, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone listens, I will come in. And it's until you take that step of faith and invite Christ in to be your savior, you'll be like that bee in the cage, just bumping your head against the glass. And for some of you, this morning is the morning God said, look up. And he has hope for you. And he's going to change your life. But you've got to take that step of faith. In a moment, we're going to pray. And all it takes is praying, inviting Jesus in, and trusting that he's going to take you there. But we have a tradition when anyone prays that prayer. The Bible's pretty clear that when you profess Christ, he will profess you. So one of the ways people are able to kind of mark the moment to say, okay, I'm in with you, Jesus. I'm in. I'm on team Jesus. Is we give them a, a light bulb. And this bulb represents your new life. That Jesus, the light of the world, lives in you. And uh, usually we'll sing a song and while we're singing, um, if you prayed to receive Jesus, I'll be up here and I got a bunch of bulbs. I'd love to give you one and pray a blessing over your life. And then you take that bulb and you plug, plug it into our Jesus' life and light sign. And it's the, way, it's the way for you to mark your day. That today, on March 31st, the God of the universe loved you so much, he spoke to your heart. And you invited him in. And every time you walk on this campus and you see these signs, 
you'll remember the day God spoke to you. It's a way to mark the day. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that in a moment, but we're going to pray. And really, first and foremost, this is between you and God. If you've never invited Christ into your life, what are you waiting for? Today's your day. God is crazy about you. And he's so excited for you to look up at him and step into your new reality, the new life he's given you. Let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.